Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Hello, everyone. It's Monday, and we're in the middle of a heat wave here in San Diego. Yikes. Um, but I hope everyone's staying inside and staying cool and reading books. And thanks so much for tuning in today. I'm super excited today because one of my Twitter friends is on. It's USA Today bestselling author Jess Michaels. And if you haven't read Jess yet, she has amazing historicals to share with you. And if you haven't met, I'll go ahead and read her bio for you here so you can get introduced. USA Today bestselling author Jess Michaels likes geeky stuff, vanilla Coke Zero, anything coconut, cheese, fluffy cats, smooth cats, okay, any cats, many dogs, and people who care about the welfare of fellow humans. She's lucky enough to be married to her favorite person in the world and lives in the heart of Dallas, Texas, where she's trying to eat all the amazing food in the city. I'm guessing that was before pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> this is all pre-pandemic bio. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, now we're all locked in. When she's not obsessively yeah. checking her steps on Fitbit and trying out new flavors of Greek yogurt, she writes historical romances with smoking hot alpha males and sassy ladies who do anything but wait to get what they want. She has written for numerous publishers and is now fully indie and loving every moment of it. Well, almost every moment. <laughs> I do have a link to her website right there on the blog talk site. So if you're listening live, you can click there and sign up for her newsletter. She gives away all kinds of amazing things. And when there's a new release out, you have a chance to win a $75 Amazon gift certificate just for being cute. So everyone go sign up for her <laughs> newsletter. And I also put a link to Facebook and Twitter as well. So without any further ado, Jess, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited you could be here. Is it scorching hot in Dallas right now too? Yeah, it's it's hot. Although today it got cloudy, so now it's it's a little bit better. We had rain last night and that kind of dropped everything, but it's been like 105 and you know, the dogs like, "Let's take a walk." And we're like, "No, no, we're not doing that." <laughs> He's confused. Yeah, my <laughs> My spoiled San Diego puppies, we take them outside for a walk, and they go, oh, why is it hot? Let's go back inside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure, because in San Diego, you don't usually get this hot, and it's just crazy there. No. Yeah, yeah, it was like over 100, two days in a row. I'm like, what's happening? Yeah, what <laughs> but, is going on? <laughs> but anyway, right, right, it's not global warming, just saying. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> You have a new book out this week, The Matter of a Marquess, right? From the Duke yes. Series? Yes. Oh, yes. yes. So uh, it's, it? and now, well, uh, Matter of a Marquess is the third book in, we're actually calling it the Duke's Byblows now because Amazon got a little testy about having the word bastard in a, on a cover. Oh, so really? now it's Duke's Byblows. Yes, it was a lot of fun. It's oh. been a lot of fun this last couple of months. Um, but uh, it's the third <laughs> book, but you can read it as a standalone. And if you like um, reunion romances, there's a curvy heroine, there's a hero who's permanently disabled after an injury in war, and there's a great big giant mastiff who probably thinks he's a lap dog, but definitely is like trying to encourage the two of them to get back together. <laughs> so it's kind of Aww. got all of the things that I like. So it's the first time I've written a dog into a book that has like a main part because we got a dog in December so I was like well what if it was a giant version of my dog <laughs> so Aww. that's what we have <laughs> 
Oh, I love that. And you can I, you, you I, can you can read it as, as standalone as well. Like you don't have to have read the first two to understand what's going on. It's just a like good, super sexy uh, reunion romance. So is the series like brothers who a Duke is their dad, or how do they all connect? So if you read my 1797 Club, which is my most popular series, came out in 2017, 2018, um, the character that was the hero in the ninth book of that series, um, the Duke of Roseford, he, he is, his father kind of whored around London and produced an un, untold number of bastard children. And so this series <laughs> is some of those kids and, and the new Duke, Robert, trying to kind of like reassemble his, his far-flung bastard siblings and form relationships with them after they've been kept apart. So they're all the daughters and sons of this, you know, sort of terrible, terrible Duke that has a history with my readership because um, Robert was in pretty much every single one of the 1797 Club. He for, sort of floated through, so um, it was a nice revisit of some older characters. And if you liked that series, a lot of those older characters um, also kind of make little cameo appearances, too. I love that. So are there going to be more books in this um, series? So the last one comes out in October, and that's the redemption of a rogue. And then I, I think it's probably done. Um, having the the title problem sort of hurt the momentum oh, of the series. So yeah. it's one of those things where I'm just going to start. I'll have a new series coming out next uh, January. So we'll just launch something new. There's always the possibility because there's just a never-ending number of these children. <laughs> like it's, I mean, every right. book there's like so many. So it's possible if I find a good, you know bastard that I want to write about that maybe we'll see another one but I I write for now it, the the end is at the end of this year in the fall of this year okay and I I wanted to ask because you write historical and I write paranormal which has a lot of the faded mates and I I enjoy reading historical because there's arranged marriages so it's that same thing where here's somebody you're going to be stuck with can you fall in love with them kind of thing do you enjoy yeah. that part of historicals yeah like a like a, an arranged marriage I love a good arranged marriage I don't think do I have any in this series I don't think so um, but I, but I use that trope a lot well, because I write really sexy books and so it's nice when you hurdle two characters together and now they're married and that gives you know a reason for getting to love scenes a little bit sooner um, so I always enjoy it's a good it's a good trope for for what I write plus it is it's really fun to see two characters especially that you know both did not want this thing to come together and now oh no but I like you <laughs> this is a problem <laughs> You smell nice. No matter what, what I, I won't now? like you. <laughs> yeah, I will never like you except you seem cool in this way. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I do. I do enjoy that trope. I haven't. I haven't done. When was the last time I did an arranged marriage? Probably. Probably in the. Oh wait, it was. It was earlier this year. I had a the the Shelley sister series, and the first book of that is um, an arranged marriage between the. Earl and one of the sister, one of these triplets. They're it's their their sisters and their triplets, and uh, the other triplet takes her place uh, at an engagement ball and ends up forced to marry him. Um, so it's an arranged marriage times two. <laughs> and then how wow. do you you know now you've started off with a lie, pretending to be someone else, and an arranged marriage. So it's it's, it's everything <laughs> out of the park with that one. Nice. 
And the other fun thing with historicals is that um, because it's a historical, there wasn't a whole lot of birth control. So you can have the surprise pregnancy and the bastard children and the, oh, guess what? We're cousins. And right. Do you play with that a lot, too? I I do a lot of bastards. I don't always write like dukes and earls, and I mean, I, there's sometimes when I do, but I tend to write, and it's, it's becoming more often now um, characters that aren't titled. Um, I don't do a lot of kids. I don't have kids, and I don't really feel like that's like a requirement of a happily ever after. Um, so I don't I don't do a lot of stories that have kids in them or surprise pregnancies, um, just because it's not. I mean, there's so much of that in romance. It's not like you can't find it. You know right. what I mean? I mean, I. Right. I sort of, I sort of like, and and it's a, you know, it's always a balancing act because obviously, especially the titled characters, I mean, they would have an expectation that they would have kids, but um, right. I like sorting that expectation a little bit here and there, where it's like, well, we just like hanging out and being in love and doing fun things together, and maybe we don't, you know, want kids or we can't have kids, and that's okay. So um, I don't play with the kids stuff a lot, but and I've never done cousins because I, I like, although technically true. Kind of gross is a modern sensibility, <laughs> but I, <laughs> right, I have done, right. I have I have done many 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 bastards. So, <laughs> I so love many. that you could have on your business card that you're a specialist in bastards. <laughs> yes, yeah, just, just Michael. So many bastards. <laughs> so I got to ask: Is has it always been historicals for you? Are there any other genres that you dream about writing someday? Uh, it's always been historicals. Almost all of my published work is historical. Um, I did a series under my real name, which is Jesse Peterson. Um, that was urban fantasy. It was like zombie comedy. And that was, gosh, almost 10 years ago now. Um, but the thing about that was that they, you know, then the publisher wanted me to write more and I gave them 10, you know, 10 ideas. And they were like, well, we, we're not sure about any of these. Do you have something else? And I'm like, literally, that's the entirety of every idea I've ever had. That's it. That's all. That's the box. <laughs> Versus with historical, I ha- I never stopped getting ideas. So this is the place right. that I just, you know, I mean, I I have two series planned for next year. I already know what the basis of the series is going to be. I'm sure that before we get to the end of this year, we'll have the next series already thought out. So, I mean, I never don't get ideas for historical. And so maybe that's because I hone that more, but it's also the place where I'm most comfortable. And so I don't really have a desire to write anything else, but what I'm, but what I'm writing, um, I mean, if I get an idea, it's always like a one-off, and then it, and then I think, oh, well, maybe I should play around with that. Then I'll start, and I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not. I lost interest. <laughs> so, <laughs> never goes anywhere. You know, knowing your strengths is always good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so being a historical writer, I have only written one historical paranormal, and it was so hard. All the research. Oh my gosh. So, do you go down research holes when you write these, or have you written enough that you know your time period and you don't really have to do that, or how does it work for you? I feel like I know the boundaries of sort of the Jess Michaels Regency world um, and what my readers have expectation of what they're going to see. And so usually when I'm researching, it's something specific. Like um, I just finished a book that's coming out in November that's around Christmas time, and it involves the 12 days of Christmas 
which at that point was a poem, not a song. And so it was sort of looking to make sure that that poem was right. And then I wanted, you know, the hero to read a poem about blackbirds. And I found this amazing poem about blackbirds that, that was written at the time. And, and it was very, it's like most romantic blackbird poem in the history of mankind. It's like, oh, this exists. This is amazing. <laughs> You know, or, you know, oh, let's, like, make sure, like, what what could have, you know, would, would there have been swans on this lake at this time of year? I, but most of the time, it's really, it's very spot, and I, I do not research beyond the boundaries of what I need for that. I know there are a lot of historical authors and just authors in general that go down these research holes, and all they do is research. Right. That is not how my brain works. Like, I'm like, I need to know how long it would have taken to drive a carriage from this point to this point, and... That's it. And then I'm not I'm not getting waylaid by anything else. It's, it's just this is how long it's going to take. So if they are riding in a carriage together, it's going to be this amount of time. And that's all I need to know. So that's all I figure out. And then I don't I just don't tend to dive into other side holes. Um, if I'm reading, you know, if I'm on between books or something, I might read a research you know, book or history book to sort of refresh and get a new idea. But I don't spend a lot of time um digging into intricacy because I think people come to my book for really good characters and, you know, emotional and sexy books. And I'm not sure that they come to me if they're looking for, here's every detail of what happened in July of 1816. Like there's lots of people that they can right. come to to get that, like that really deep. Cause there's, there's some historical romance authors that they really love all of those like tiny minute details of the time period. And there's, that's where their readership goes. They don't go to me. I mean, they come to me if they want, you know, banging in a library. <laughs> that's what, you know, like <laughs> super emotional, like character development. That's what they come to for me. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you know your readers, you know, you know your reader expectations because that's, that's huge for um, an author because we we want readers to read it, but we also want them to recognize what they're going to get, you know. Yeah, and I mean, after this is the book that comes out on the 18th tomorrow is my 88th published book, and almost wow, all of those are historical. Thanks. Yeah, we're gonna we have a hundred in 2022. I'm already preparing the party because I'm a planner. Oh but, my god! <laughs> if if we all get to have human being contact, that is, I will right, have a party. Right. Right. Um, yes. Yes. But, uh, you know, after that many books, and almost all of them have been in the Regency period, um, maybe. 15 of those haven't been in the Regency period, and that's probably, that's probably a high, I guess. Um, I, I know what I'm, what I'm creating and what I want to create and what I want to put out in the world. And so doing that is more important to me than trying to write to the expectation of somebody that really wants something beyond, you know, the, the wallpapery dressings of a historical romance novel. Right. And 88 books is like, this gigantic milestone. So I always ask people, what was your writing journey like? Did you start writing when you were four? Um, <laughs> when did the first book come out? You were 12. Um, <laughs> but, but what did your writing journey look like for you? Did you always want to be a writer? I did always want to be a writer. I won a young authors contest when I was in, I think, second or third grade, fifth grade, I guess. And, um, and I wanted to be a writer, but then, of course, got told by the universe that like people aren't really writers. Like you have to have a backup. That's like a real job, quote unquote. And so right. I, that's what I did. And I, I went and went to school and then um, my husband had a job at a um, big tech company in Seattle and was making enough money that I was like, well, I'm going to go back to school. 
and get a master's degree so that I could become a marriage and family counselor is what I was planning on doing. And so in the summer between regular four-year college and going back to graduate school, I needed to get experience credit. So I was doing that. And then at the same time, I had written this book kind of on a whim in college. And I was, I said, well, I'm going to edit that. And so he would come home at the end of the day and he'd be like, what'd you do today? And I would cry and tell him how hard it was. I was working at a hospice. And so I would cry and Mm. tell him who had died and what family therapy we had done. And, um, and then he would say, how was the writing? And I would get all happy and perk back up. And yeah. Like, I, I want to, like, tell you what to do, but you seem happy when you're writing, and you seem really not happy when you're doing the other thing. And do we really want to pay for, you know, four more years of graduate school <laughs> and have you be miserable? And I was like, maybe not. And so I started writing full-time in 1999. Um, and I sold my first book to Avon in 2004, and it came out in 2005. So I wrote for HarperCollins. Avon Romance um, from 2004 to 2011, and then I wrote for Sam Hain um, when it still existed from 2012 until two, when did they go? Like 2014, and then um, and then I went fully indie. I love that. And along the way, who who inspired you? Like, did, did you meet people at conferences or something who said, "Hey, keep doing this" or anything like that? Before I published, I mean, I have I have a very strong self drive. Um, I'm a I'm an achiever personality, and so this it, it never really occurred to me to quit. I mean, if I tried to quit, I always just kind of came right back to it after a little bit of a break. Um, so I I think mostly not giving up was self driven. Although certainly I had lots of people that were supportive and saying, you know, well you've come come this far, like don't stop. Don't trying. The only way you're going to guarantee not getting published is to quit trying to get published. Um, And then, I mean, it's a long career. I've been been in this industry for for 20 plus years now because I started writing in 1999 full time and went joined RWA then. And um, although I'm no longer a member, I mean, it's 20 years of being involved in romance land and romance community. And so certainly there's been plenty of people that have been really supportive and, and, you know, helped me kind of get here and people that I've turned to when I was like, well, maybe I should go indie because that's such a big jump. And, you know, right. especially after being traditionally published for, I was traditionally published for 10 years at that point. And the, just the concept of like running up to the edge of the cliff and just hurtling myself off of it was slightly <laughs> terrifying. But, uh, but, you know, there were plenty of people that said, look, you can do this. You know, I mean, you, you have an audience and you can write fast. So just just hurdle, and I hurdled and found wings, and you know, so here here we are. But I mean, there's just almost too many people to to list off. It would be right. would be longer than the show. <laughs> I love that. I do love that um, because I write paranormal romance, so I'm in romance landy as well. But I love the community of authors because we really have. Um, I mean, it, it, every community has flare up some things but for the most part I mean I romance authors are the coolest humans ever and if you need something or or you want to put something together there are people who are like let's do this you know and I think we're lucky every industry isn't like that yeah I mean certainly every genre isn't like that you see you know I mean I think that we have a much more um high level of understanding that 
we actually aren't competing against each other at all. I mean, if, if, if you do well, it doesn't affect me at all. And if another right. historical romance author does well, it doesn't affect me except that it could make me do better. It can never actually make me do worse if someone else does well. It can only make me do better because suddenly, you know, I mean, if, if somebody has their book made into a movie and it's a historical romance and they sell a billion copies, what happens is they probably don't have 88 books because most people don't. And so right. they, re, you know, the people that go out and buy their backlist and they say, okay, cool, but what other historical romances are there? And suddenly here I am with a bunch of them. So it's... There's right. only um, there's only a, a way to help each other. There's never really a way to hurt each other when it comes to success. So I think that we have a, a bigger understanding of that generally as a genre, and I think that that helps people be more supportive. Yes, I totally agree. And and also I think romance readers, because they're so voracious, you know, they're and I also think romance readers are great about like you said, a movie comes out and they're willing to go, you know, try out a new author. And I think in some other genres that you know, there are readers who are like, Well, that's kind of, you know, not in my lane and that kind of thing. And I think romance readers are adventurous and, you know, go out there voraciously looking for new things to read, new authors. Yeah, I mean, you know, you'll look and and every year people put their, what are you going to try to read this year on Goodreads? I mean, there are people that are putting four or 500 books and they're almost always romance readers and, and they read four or 500 books and, and they read them and really read them and really enjoy them and sometimes really review them. And I mean, it's just, it's a different level of, of that. And, and I think that especially now, I think they even need it more because when things are kind of terrible, that promise of this genre for of all the genres is going to make it be okay. I mean, I can drag these two people in this book that's coming out tomorrow through lies that tore them apart, you know, horrible physical injury, you know, emotional upheaval, you know, financial loss. <laughs> like, what can they be together? Oh my God. And I will not give you, give away anything by telling you it's going to be fine. Like they will be together. Like right. this is not a spoiler alert. Cause it's a romance. Like I will fix it for you. You never have to not trust that if you start a book by me, no matter how bad I can make it for them in the middle of the book, you always know in the back of your head, like that's going to be okay. That's going to be okay. Yes. So, you know, I mean, that gives a level of hope where at the end you close the book and you're like, I'm very, very satisfied. I'm very, very happy. And maybe that gives you an opportunity to say, okay, I feel like I can go fight the good fight today or go deal with something I didn't want to go deal with because I had that little moment of like, okay, I've been a little bit of an uplift, you know? Right. Right. I totally agree. And do you find that writing happily ever afters during this lockdown and pandemic, have you, has it made you struggle a little bit? I know for me and a lot of my friends, it has been very hard because everything's on fire and then you're trying to, right. you know, and then write there's hope. more fire. So, <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Right. It's like Everything it never was stopped. pre-existingly on fire and then there was more fire. And it's like, how is there more fire? <laughs> no, um, I certainly, I'm well aware of all the fire. I hate the fire. I've been fighting the fire for several years. Um, <laughs> but when the, the the really interesting thing is I have always seen writing as a happy place for me, as a safe place for me. So when 9-11 happened, I would 
you know, watch television for 20 minutes. I'd go in, I'd write for half an hour, I'd go back and I'd watch TV. And it was like, that was the place I needed to go to be safe, to feel safe. Um, when we've had personal loss, there's been deaths in the family. There's been, you know, moving, there's, been, you know, all of these things, like all of these upheaval things I have always written as a way to sort of save myself. Like, I mean, the song from Hamilton, I wrote, you know, where he's in Hurricane, where he says, I wrote my way out. Like that, Michael's like, oh my God, it's you. This song is about you. And I'm like, yeah, but I didn't cheat on you and write something at the Reynolds pamphlet. So, hey, there's something good. (laughs) But like that concept of writing your way out of hell is something that that resonates very strongly with me. So I have had a lot of practice already that I think maybe some authors have not had in saying, I must write, I need to write, this is actually part of how I function as a human being. Um, And that's great when it's this kind of stuff, because I was able to continue writing. In fact, I actually have written a little bit more because it feels so safe when everything else does not feel safe. Um, but wow. It, I mean, you know, there's obviously down, there's obviously downsides to that too, where it's like, you know, sometimes the only way I can feel safe is to write. And then now I have like a lower back injury and my hands hurt. So, oh, no. I mean, there's always oh, like no. a, like a disadvantage <laughs> to it. Right. I mean, I have to, I have a time right, where I have right. to set it. I have to flip it over. I have to get up. I'm being yelled at if I'm not getting up, but because I need to, because like, seriously, that's like when people say, what's the best piece of advice you can give to a young author? I'm like, make sure you set a timer. 20 minutes and actually stand up and walk around. Trust me. But I mean, that's the thing that actually keeps me sane just on a base level. And then you add this to it and that, I mean, this is just, this is where I go like naturally is to go into the place where I can control because that's the thing again, like for me, writing the happy, happily ever after is a way to control. Like I can throw terrible things at them and yet I can make it okay. I can't do that in the real world very easily. I don't have a lot of control over the terrible things that happen, so except to vote. So, I mean, I right. don't um, – I, I go into that place, and I can make it okay, and I think that that gives me some solace in times when I feel very, very stressed out by the universe as a general whole. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, that that's great that you have that. Um, you know, I'm trying to look at it as you know, this is an escape, and I I can do this. But in the beginning of the pandemic, it was like anxiety was so high. I writer friends and I were on Zoom writing so that we were muted, but you could see everyone else writing, so you would focus. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but whatever. But I think it that's takes, the thing is like everyone. Well, and everyone is so different, you know, I mean, and and I think that that is unfortunately the only thing that I would, not the only thing, (laughs) certainly not the only thing, but one of the things that I would give as a criticism for romance writer land is that we very often think there's only one way to do something. And so when you see that the other person, you know, I mean, you look at me and maybe like that high production, always writing thing looks really good from an outside, but if that's not how your brain works, then then that is not going to be healthy. So it's figuring out like, how can it work for you? Not everyone can do it that way. So you have to figure out what the best way is for you. Like for me, like if I was in a Zoom room with 20 other people, oh my God, my focus would be going insane. It would be like, nope, 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 nope. So can't do it. <laughs> Sorry, bye. Um, and so, but again, like that's because that's the way my brain works. Yeah, I'm going to be kind of right. turning you all off. Mute, 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 mute. Um, 
Um, but that's the thing is like, I know that about myself. And I think that that's, that is really the best advice I can give to a writer is, and to a human, to any person is like figuring out how your brain works and then not letting anybody tell you that it should work differently is like a big deal for any person, yes, I think. I agree. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't believe that we are getting close on time, but before we do, I, know, I like didn't three minutes. talk about your pot. <laughs> I know, right? I didn't even talk about your podcast <laughs> yet, but you have a podcast. Do you want to tell everyone about it so they can go listen? Yes. So if you are a writer, it's really geared toward writers. Although if you're a reader and you just want to know how writers tick, like it's kind of a fun thing, but um, I, it's called journeys of romance. It's any place that you can get podcasts, Apple, Google, every, all the places, Stitcher. Um, and every other week I interview um, a romance author and we talk about writing and publishing and craft and anything that comes up. Like we, we tend to, it's like a conversation. So, um, and there's, uh, like 80 episodes up it, probably your favorites have been have been interviewed so go check uh, and I really love doing it it's it's such a like a it gives me a lot of um, energy by doing that because again it's a good reminder of like oh this is so interesting like you do it this way it's so different than the way I do it and yet we all get to the same place at the end which is a book so <laughs> that's that to me is right? the most fascinating part yeah, and for me, I love doing the podcast because I, I do writers from all genres on, on book lights, and it's always so interesting to me to hear, you know, how everybody does it, what they're doing. You know, it, it's just inspiring. I always end the podcast, and yeah. I'm like, oh, I want to go write. Um, you know, so yeah. I think because we all write in our cave, and it's so nice to get out of the cave and see other people. <laughs> I know. It's like another human. This is so exciting. <laughs> nice. Other humans exist. Oh, well, right. Well, before we go, where can everybody get the matter of the Marquess? Is it open? Is it available on all platforms or? Yes. So I am wide, so it's available at all platforms. Um, the eBooks will start dumping into your readers tonight. So if you pre-order today, you will start to get it tonight. Um, you can buy it paperback um, from any of the retailers that actually sell a paperback. And um, I also love Sweet Arrow. We'll have it if you want to pre-order it from them. They're a local romance. Um, centric bookstore that's out of Chicago, but they ship worldwide. So um, you can also order it from them if you like the paperback. But ebook is at all the places Apple, Google, Kobo, uh, Amazon, obviously. And oh God, one more Barnes and Noble. <laughs> all the places. All the places. I'm like, what's all the other them. one? <laughs> Just go look. You'll find it. You'll find it. it. <laughs> Yes, everyone go grab it. Jess, thanks so much for being on today. It was great to have you. Thanks for joining us on Book Lights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.